11 o'clock comic. Uh, David, 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 David. I, what? You're scraping the thing again. <laughs> are you oh, I thought you liked that. Are, are oh. you taking barnacles off the hole over there? <laughs> nice. Here we go. Toy boat. And he drinks. This is all part of it, right? No, this is not part of it. You know, no. Tom, Tom Caters would say, here comes the staged faux introduction. You know? 11 o'clock comics, episode... 33 Over. Um, this is the end. It's all. It's all she wrote, guys, 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 guys. Welcome to 11 O'Clock Comics. I am Vince B., the art bell of comics podcasting. <laughs> I'm Christopher Naisman, and since this is the last last one, do I have to be shit-faced drunk like the last, last one? Yes, you do. Not like this. You have to just keep repeating that. Not like this. <laughs> I'm David Price. And sitting in for Jason Wood, who's on assignment in Florida. We have one of the voices of the Around Comics podcast, the uh, Arpangia, actually, because if it wasn't for Around Comics, we wouldn't be here. Brian Salazar, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, what's up? Yeah, first time on our show. So, is this your last episode? This I, is it. It's all she wrote. I've, I've come here to end things. <laughs> so maybe Sal should be the one saying not like this. <laughs> no, we're just we're just shitting you. Our previous show, Bullpen Bulletins, ended at episode 33. David got a couple complimentary emails. His head got real big. I'm too big for this show, you know. So he had to go on his own little way. So And then we started this. So I figured, let's just push it past 33. Let's see how far we can go. What do you say? I got a, Yeah, I got about 100 left in me. Wow. That was actually that was the uh, that was the episode where my uh, my Vietnamese uh, downstairs neighbors were throwing a party, and I went down and they uh, uh, they kept feeding me drinks, and by the time I came up here, I had kind of forgotten that that we were supposed to be recording that night, and uh, you called me up, and uh, I kind of remember doing that episode. I do remember waking up on the couch with my headset still on the next morning. Nice. So. And, you're, and you're fly open. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, well, I, it's, it's how, you know, I mean, it's not like Wood was here when we kicked this thing off, so it's okay that he wouldn't be here for the last episode. Right. But what a difference a year makes, because when Chris was going on and on about not like this, that of course was a poke at what Hawkeye was saying during his one of his demises, but now we can say that he's basically just mocking a point from Batman number six eighty one. 
<sighs> you got to be a negative Nancy right out of the gate. Don't How you? is that being negative? Wasn't that said? In- <laughs> yeah, I know that was one. Okay, that was then. the only cringeworthy balloon in the whole thing. <laughs> that, well, and and especially in light of who the character is. When 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 you when you take it in regards to the identity of that person, and he says and that a, it's a, like, and, dude, and, and a flying aircraft was involved, and oh my god, doesn't Morrison have any original ideas? Stop. Let's all right, all put right. it on Before hold. Before we get there, we have to go through the drink roll call. So, yes. um, oh, um, Vince, what flavor of uh, Yingling Lager are you uh, drinking this week? I have it in a glass, though. It's a very tall mug, and it's one Is of it those. Frosty? Did you guys have Carols? In the Chicago area? Like Christmas carols? No, carols. It was like a McDonald's type store, a restaurant. And back in the 70s, they had Looney Tunes glasses. Real tall Looney Tunes glasses. So I am drinking my Yingling in an Elmer Fudd Looney Tunes glass. Oh, it's fitting because you are Looney Tunes. Oh, by the way, it was funny, uh, the forum this week, that most of the discussion was not about the comics that we talked about in the last episode. It was about me talking about Squirt. The soft drink yes. and, and, and turkey and uh, uh, dressing and stuffing preparation. So that's cool, though. Stream of consciousness. That's yeah, weird. And and speaking of Looney Tunes, I did listen to the last around comics because I, I never miss it. And uh, it, it was a wonderful tribute by by Mister Suntras and Norton. Calling you batshit crazy. Yeah. <laughs> And I said to David, well, you know, I guess it's time to finally light the eleven o'clock comics citronella candle. Because the pests are starting to gather. <laughs> I thought summer was over. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Price, what are you drinking? Uh, I'm going back to uh, my Jim Beam and lemon and lime soda. Sweet. Go try it with the squirt, man. I'm telling you. Uh, well, you send me some squirt in RC and I'll be all set. I'll send you yeah. a squirt. Can you believe that? You that would. They don't have squirt on the East Coast. Um, well, you know, they have no taste over there. Yeah. yeah. Here in a future time. <laughs> 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 All right, uh, Sal, my uh, my partner from uh, from AC. What are uh, what are you sipping on this evening? Um, I'm enjoying a uh, lovely cold uh, grape flavored Propel Fitness water. Wow. Sorry, guys. I don't I don't generally drink during the week. Uh, straight straight arrow that Sal. He's I was right. thinking about possibly a nice concoction of cough medicine and absinthe, but that, I didn't think I'd make it through more than about 45 minutes. It would probably be needed to talk about RIP. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I am drinking a, uh, a Goose Island Matilda, which is one of the, uh, one of the few Goose Island um, offerings that, that my wife really likes. And it, uh, uh, Goose Island is a, a local Chicago area uh, uh, beer brewer, and uh, their Matilda is really, really tasty. It's a um, you know medium, uh, medium-bodied, um, uh, kind of oh darkish brown, um, very tasty uh, beer. So I'm terrible at, at describing beers, but I'm having a Matilda, so it's very good. Sounds good. You can always go by uh, Vince's standby and talk about the mouthfeel. Nah, let's not. So we did. <laughs> All right, so so here we all are. First time Mr. Salazar is here with us, and we've decided to start it off anyway, because you know how this thing goes. We're going to talk a little bit about Batman R.I.P., the groundbreaking, revolutionary six-part miniseries within a series that wrapped up last week from the wonderful Grant Morrison. Wait, what was revolutionary about it? The fact that there's no Batman for a short time? 
No. The, the, <laughs> okay. All right. Just checking because I mean, that's been this, one of those episodes. The storytelling devices employed were very revolutionary. First off, I and you know I I wrote jotted some quick notes down as I was reading quick. it again. Uh, Mr. Salazar, would you like me to send them to you? Uh, sure. Yeah, quick. Let me, yeah, it's, it's, it's a couple quick notes. Come on, it's not that <laughs> extensive. It might have been quick to write. Sure, as I wasn't quick to read. There you go, buddy. <laughs> Thank you. I will. This is panel by panel. No, it's issue by issue. How do I get <laughs> the file? It's not working. It's I I sent it to you in the comments thing in the chat window. Oh. There you Never go. mind. Okay, yeah, shoot, shoot them over to me too, Vince. Okay. Holy crap. Stop. This when do you find the time for this? This was during the second read-through. I didn't catch a lot of the stuff during the first, as, as, <laughs> particularly the first page. I, I thought that was brilliant of him to begin the story with what should have been the last page in the narrative, with the, with the, the uh, you're wrong, Batman and Robin will never die. That's... If you go in a, in a linear fashion, that should be the last thing in the story. Right, because that's because that when you turn the page, does it say six months earlier? Yes. Okay. Six, yeah. And um, <laughs> who Someone do we? Someone Tic Tacs? Or... <laughs> uh, sorry, it's my uh, dog. It's a dog. With her, yes. With her nails. <laughs> I knew Let it. Me, um... <laughs> I know that sounded a little too low. <laughs> um, well, this is part of the. Hold, hold on one second, guys. Okay. Hold on. Let's put them away. Sorry. Sorry. Ooh, that's good. This is real. Cutting edge. Comics podcasting verite. Thor Ruby, damn it. Now, who do you yeah. think that is in that image while we're, while we're on the subject and waiting for Mr. Salazar? Well, one, we have to wait until the Battle of the Cow is over. I mean, oh, well, to know, but as far as guessing? Yeah. I I had them upstairs, but my wife decided it was a good time to send them down by me. <laughs> Damn women. And uh-huh. you, while you were gone, we said, we, we posed the question, who do you think that pair, the identity of the pair in that image, who do you think they are? Uh, uh, Tim and Dick. Tim and Dick. See, the, the only problem I have with Tim is he's too young. That Robin in that image is too young to be Tim, and the Batman is too old. Well, I, I mean... Well, and you can't really go by Mr. Uh, Daniel either. Well, that's, uh, I mean, not only that, but who knows what he knew of that panel he was drawing. Right. You know what I mean? He could have he could have just been draw a, Batman, draw a Batman and Robin character. Who knows, you know, how much of it he knew. I'm, I'm tempted this to is, say that it's... No, go ahead, Sal. I was just going to say, um, this is sort of a a very prototypical reason of why... Grant Morrison gets under my skin a little bit. Um, while I, I, I think he's a very talented writer, and there's lots of his stuff that I enjoy a lot, I, I don't see the point of of putting what should be the last scene in the first page of the book uh, other than to confuse you. Um, there playing. doesn't seem to be... It's not To me, it's not, like, it's not a very effective storytelling device, like something like the movie Memento. Which is told very nonlinear. It's told, you know, uh, almost backwards and all through flashback. But it was done, you know, for a reason. Um, you know, it, it uh, in, you know, it, it enhanced the story itself. Where this, to me, is just Grant Morrison deciding to do it for no particular reason other than to make it confusing. Well, and that, that didn't pique your curiosity at all when you saw that image. Honestly, the first time I read it, no. 
Um, the the first time I read it, uh, it, it didn't make much sense to me. Well, I think um, it's just kind of a declaration to the reader that everything that you've seen in the build-up to this is, no, you're wrong, because Batman and Robin will never die. That's, I mean, that's exactly what he's saying. So I think it's it's kind of pushing things, you know, right to the forefront of, you know, this is supposed to be a, a story about the death of Batman, but, you know, no, you're wrong, because Batman and Robin can never die. Well, it could also be Mr. Morrison commenting on the way you should read this six-issue story where if he's pulling it together by taking the last scene and putting it first, he's basically saying this is a coherent story in six parts that should be read all at once. Did well, you get but he, even then, is it? I mean... Oh, yeah, it is. When you, when you, when you read it in one shot and all the, the uh, beats are, are fresh in your mind, yeah, I think it... it it's it, more so, but, uh, I mean, something like that is still very easily, uh, you know... Well, maybe not as easily forgotten, but uh, it could simply—you know—it could certainly be easily overlooked. Um, I think a lot of people overlook that. Yeah. What you so what you're saying is this is Morrison basically saying, "Look at me, aren't I clever?" Yeah, and I think he does that. I think he does that too much. I think he doesn't need to, and for some reason, I think he does that a lot. Um, and and I don't know why. I mean, I don't know the guy. I've never talked to him, so I have no idea why he does it. Maybe that's just the way he likes to write. Maybe maybe it's so that people will look at his work um, and consider it deeper than what maybe it really is. I, I think a, a very healthy way to approach Grant Morrison written stories, especially you know his his mainstream stuff, is to is to read them from the viewpoint of it not being written by Grant Morrison. You know what I mean? It's, you know, kind of take that out of your mind and go, okay, if this was, you know, writer X, then I need to judge this story on, on its merits. I, I think because it's Morrison, sometimes people, um, it's not quote unquote giving it a pass, but I think people read it with a different, with a different slant to it. And so I've, I've been trying to read Morrison stuff and not think of it as being a Morrison written story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I can understand that. I mean, not that. And, and, not that and, I don't think and, he's... On, and on that respect, if this had been, you know, Joe Smith writing Batman, I would have been going, "What the fuck is going on?" Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I like the story. I liked. I, I I really do like his Batman. I like his take on on the character, and I I I did like this story. Um, I liked the the previous. Um, story the black uh, glove story and the league of heroes story that he did much better but it wasn't the hyped death of batman storyline event that uh, dc wanted to, to push but i think it's a much better story than this one personally i mean that's just my taste uh, but i don't know i mean i mean i think i think he's in a i think morrison sometimes is in a tough place too because of who he is and his name and what he's done in the past and and then he gets put in a position of of writing what essentially is going to be the death of Batman, but realistically can never be the death of Batman. Um, right. Well, by the end of the series, you know that after the helicopter goes down, he's not dead because the right. black case book is written after the fact. So sure. he, w he would have to be alive to write it. So uh, I don't, e I don't think anyone actually expected Batman to die in, in this uh, 
series. Well, I don't know. I mean, Captain America's dead. Uh, you know, well, char- big characters can die, and when you hype something as Batman R.I.P. and and but and, but well, I mean, even beyond that, and, and I don't have a problem with the fact that he didn't die. But real, really, to me, what there wasn't really anything um, to this story that that they said there was going to be. This is you know, this was going to be the story that uh, destroyed Batman or, or did you know did something worse than death to him and I don't really now, see it, how it did that. Well is the, it ba- is it Batman or is it Bruce Wayne? Because I've 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 heard Morrison or not heard it but read and it, it's kind of what I've picked up on is that it's really kind of the the death of Bruce Wayne. Am I am I reading that wrong or interpreting that wrong? That well, that's the, well the character of Batman coming into this story died in 52. When he went into that uh, sensory deprivation ritual, that Thogal ritual in Nanda Parbat, the man he was before he went into that cave was not the same man that walked out. So the persona of who he was going in was not the same coming out. So he effectively, that character died and was reborn as the unafraid of death, stripped down, relieved of all that emotional baggage that he was carrying around with him. Because that's the whole purpose of a sensory deprivation ritual. When you go into one of these things, all the residue that these emotional occurrences leave on your person is stripped away. Because if if all sensory stimuli is removed, you have no other choice but to look inside. That's the whole thing. So you examine the self and you peel back the layers and reveal who you are in this little pure little form and that's when the character that caused this whole R.I.P. that's when he was able to get a foothold with him because Mm -hmm. he was unprotected so in a way Batman R.I.P. that Batman is dead and you have this Batman that went through this scathing trial by fire and emerged victorious essentially so this is another Batman in, in, in R.I.P. than what we've been used to um. Yeah, I, I mean, I certainly get that. Uh, but I mean, I get. I guess my biggest issue with it is 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 the hype surrounding stuff like this, and then the eventual disappointment I have with it because you know whether it's the writer or the editors or the you know Warner Brothers, you know whoever it may be, uh, basically. Not changing a character really, you know, and and not doing anything dramatic. I mean, to me, it would have been much more interesting if uh, Doctor Hurt was Thomas Wayne, and I think that was Morrison's. To me, I mean, I, don't, I have nothing to base this on. This is a completely out of my ass uh, opinion, but I, I I feel like Morrison really wanted to do that, and that's what he, re- you know, that's what he initially was going to do. Is that that character was Thomas Wayne um, mm. back from the dead? And and that would have been devastating. To, I mean, that would have really oh, yeah. been devastating to Bruce Wayne. But I don't uh, see how he but, could have but, pulled that off if he's been setting this up since '52. Because how would Thomas Wayne get at him in the in the uh, that the ritual? That that was the the uh, the seed that grew into this whole story was the the uh, the Thogal ritual. Well, I mean, he's a writer. I mean, you can you, you can write things however you want them to be. I don't, you know, I don't know what the storyline would be or how it would exactly work. But how did Doctor Hurt get to him? I mean, who yeah, is Doctor Hurt? We don't even know. He's the devil. Well, is he? I mean, yeah. that's, you know, that's opinion. No, he basically says it. 
Well, the, he basically says the, he, 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 you know, he stared well that, in the eyes of a devil and, and saw fear, but that Capital D, mean, though. Right. Well, but... And that, but that, so why is this case in the black casebook if it's not unexplainable? It, if it's not one of those, because that's what the, the casebook is, all of Batman's escapades that can't be rationally explained or conventionally explained. Well, but so, once again, the, the black casebook is a construct of Morrison for this story specifically. I mean, he created it as a, you know, as a, a device. Of, of explaining all those wonky 50s well, and of 60s. Te- of telling, <laughs> well, yeah, that too. But, I mean, you know, I, I, I don't, you know, whether it's, I, I don't think it's the devil myself. I don't personally f- think that. Um, yeah, I do. But, I mean. I definitely do. Because you know. he, he uh, if you remember in the last issue when Batman was falling and the that Thomas, or uh, sorry, Doctor Hurt in quotes says, "The next time you put the co- the uh, the cape and cowl on will be your last." That's going to lead into final crisis. That's going to be Batman's final hurrah. Bruce Wayne, w- uh, Batman will not emerge from final crisis. I can almost guarantee it because Morrison has set it up already. Well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's it, it's that's speculation. I don't know if he will or he won't. Or you know, I mean, Batman, Bruce Wayne is not going anywhere as a character he may you know something may happen but he's not gonna be gone for 20 years like you know barry allen or something i mean i i don't think that long you're right but uh there's been preview pages released for 682 which comes out tomorrow mm-hmm. and uh it's bruce and alfred talking so now yeah. I, I i didn't pick up on whether it was a flashback or a uh some kind of interlude sequence but the both of them are are uh are in it so who knows but well, bef- yeah. before we get too far off, I mean, I, I didn't mean to derail things too much here. But, oh, go uh, ahead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, whether or not it's the devil, I, I'm not sure. I mean, per- my my own personal feeling on it is is that actually it's that it is Bruce, uh, that he is Doctor Hurt. There was a there, you know, there was a um, Morrison was kind of uh, given some some clues to that 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 a lot of this was created by. By Bruce or Batman or or whoever in in self-inflicted, yeah, yeah. Which you know, I think that the the next two issues of Batman um, are going to be about that time in that sensory deprivation tank. Well, right. th- and think and think about this. I mean, the devil. You know, if you look at you know, and I'm I'm not particularly religious, so I don't know all the ins and outs. But you know, the devil basically uh, it, it, it condemns sinners. And what does Batman do? But the devil also corrupts the virtuous, too. True. That's, that's his whole deal. And in the last issue, he said... Depends on what devil you're talking about, though. <laughs> I mean, there's the standard... I mean, you, well, right. I mean, honestly... Well, the, 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 it, it, in, uh, historically, the devil's the liar, the trickster, the corrupter. Well, you can go with any, any kind of slant on it. But in the last issue, he, he tells Bruce... Well, would I have what would I have dragged you this far and not deliver the killing stroke if I was anybody but who you know I am and he he said okay I'm not Thomas Wayne we we know that cuz Alfred immediately knew it wasn't Thomas Wayne Bruce knew it right. it wasn't Mangrove Pierce because he said he f- basically flayed him alive and wore his skin and then he he said um I am the person when Occam's razor. When you you cut out all who I'm not, you know in in your heart who I am. Mm-hmm. 
and and Morrison never delivered on that. But I I honestly think it was the devil. Maybe I I mean there's no I mean only Grant Morrison knows really. I yeah. mean he wrote the story. Uh, the yeah. devil's no you know in, in this context the devil's no more you know more or less likely to appear than a guy dressed as a bat fighting crime so <laughs> and, and that's another thing uh he uh, there's there's various clues through the whole series uh no one knows him better than i do uh dr hurt exclaims that in, in but all those same things can if it was bruce or batman oh or exactly that personality right that lends I mean, credence to the bruce devil. wayne right right he, exactly you know, and as far as corrupting the innocent well dick tim uh they were pretty innocent before they met batman and jason todd well, not necessarily a corruption of their, you know, mortal souls, but, I mean, leading them into this life. I, I mean, the, the way I look at it is almost like, he, you know, Bruce is his own devil. He is his own devil. Right. He always but, has been. You know, I mean, that's... But I, and, and really, it's, there's one scene in that last issue that, um, that sort of, when I reread it, stuck out to me. Uh, when he punches through the windshield of the helicopter, the line is something about the black hand always wins, but... And you see the black hand coming through the windshield, and it's the same art style, sort of. It's like this pop art, you know, bang uh, from the old, you know, Batman TV show, um, Starburst, behind the fist, um, that you saw in, in like, the, the, the original Black uh, Glove series, uh, or Black Hands. What is it? Black Glove or Black Hand? Black, black, black Glove. Yeah. Black, um, black Mask, Black Glove, Black Hand. Jesus, get an original color or something. Um, but the artwork, the, the, the look of it was the same of what you saw in that first uh, League of Heroes story, but the hand is Bruce's. Yeah. I don't know what that means. You know what I mean? I, for whatever reason, that stuck out to me and, and it started me thinking about, you know, Bruce's behind. I mean, the, the, the wealth that's there, the, the, you know, all those things that lead to possibly being the devil also could lead to it being Bruce's own construction. Right. See, I saw that that those two panels as the black glove, meaning Batman always wins. It, because as soon as he said the black glove, then you're right. You saw the Bruce's black glove come through the window, meaning Batman's always triumphant. I mean, if if you take it from my perspective, he beat the devil. He out-deviled the devil. Which, right. when, when you think about it, if it is the devil, this is a pretty piss-poor, ineffectual devil. Yeah, I mean, well, if he other... can't take down a human, <laughs> you know, so I, maybe that's a testament to Batman's indomitable spirit. I don't know, but uh, the, Morrison loves to litter the thing with clues and sometimes red herrings. Now, as the the, the single page with Nightwing holding the cape and cowl is that a sledgehammer? To the head, meaning that Nightwing is the one that's going to pick up the call, or is that a red herring? We don't know. But my guess is uh, Nightwing's going to be Batman after this. Is it, it, if it's if it's anyone besides Bruce, it's going to be it's going to be Dick that will yeah. that will that will wear the cape and cowl. Uh, did you guys read any of the the Robin or the Outsiders or Detective Comics tie-ins? I leaf through them. The, the the Nightwing one was particularly confusing. I didn't know what was going on in that because I haven't been reading Nightwing for a while. But wasn't he trying to escort or protect some woman from she was uh, going to deliver a, a she was on jury or something or she was a star witness in the trial against someone? I, I wasn't picking up on what was going on. But I, like I said, I just basically leafed through it. Yeah, it it seemed pretty 
pretty distant from the from the main story, so it's, I didn't know if there were um, how how deep the connections were. I, I had the detective issues, and and I haven't read them yet, but uh, I wasn't going to bother with any of the others. Yeah, well, in uh, going back over the series, there is a ton of black and red symbolism and and metaphor in this thing. The you, the Joker picked up on the black and red for the for the the playing cards, right? But oh, the whole dead, it, dead man's hand. The 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 entire series is littered with black and red. How many times have you seen the roulette wheel featured in a panel? There's, I mean, gambling and and the colors of the the traditional playing card deck are all over this thing. When um, Honor Jackson gives him the bat radia, the the cloth that the black radia is wrapped up in is black and red. It's a checkerboard. Yeah, um, the rose, the rose petals. Right, the rose petals are black and red. Jezebel, her hair is red, and next to Bruce, there's another. Or next to Batman, there's another black and red. I mean, the thing is just dirty with, or lousy with the stuff. But, and that's what I love about Morrison. If he starts something, he drags it through the entire series. No, no matter. Yeah, it was mostly successful. Successful. Well, visually speaking, how did you guys like um, Tony Daniels' art in the series? Mm, I think he's the weak link. Really. Yeah, I think this series would have been a lot more powerful with... I can only imagine Mazzucchelli illustrating this thing. I mean, can you imagine if David Mazzucchelli... If Mazzucchelli illustrated anything, I'd be Right, but I'm just saying, I'm not slighting Daniels because he's he's talented, but I don't think he has the chops to pull a story like this off. And a a lot of it was... The imagery in a lot of the the, the sequences were uh, lacking. I, th- I, thought, I I I thought it was okay. I think it, I think more than anything, it's his style's a little off for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has a bit of a, a it was a little a too flashy. Yeah, I mean, he has like he seems like he's of the you know Todd McFarlane school a bit, mm-hmm. yeah. and and that cartoonish looks on people, you know, which I like. I don't, you know, I, I mean, I have no problem with the style per se it's just for this particular story it didn't seem to to fit real well i mean i in some senses i think it did in some some sort of the like the grotesqueness and the over the top parts of things you know because there were some real over the part but 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 when you got to some more of the the serious and like um underplayed scenes i think he had a, a bit of a hard time just because of his style doesn't lend itself to that a little bit Mm-hmm. I really liked his Joker. Oh yeah, I thought his Joker was creepy as hell in a Marilyn Manson kind of way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But even from the first issue with the Vulture supervillain kidnapping the the uh, middle aged couple and their young son, I mean that that's Morrison digging up the Waynes, uh, as if to say like there's vultures preying on the, on the Waynes, because why would he make that, that supervillain a vulture, first of all? And then, and then he puts a, a trio of people that are very symbolic to the Waynes in a, in a, in a desperate situation, and Batman pulls them out of it. It's, it's, it's Morrison beating you over the head with it. And then the thing that got me was, did you notice the part where he, uh, he tells Robin there's a couple hundred bucks in the glove box, give it to that, the, the <laughs> Honor Jackson? Mm-hmm. He's Bruce Wayne's basically responsible for Honor Jackson's death because he gave him the money to buy the drugs. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Wow. Which comes back later. Well, yeah. 
It's not. It's it's not. I mean, he gave him the drugs, but right. Well, and then he the money helped him out too because uh, he needed it. So he he was basically ensuring his survival. It didn't even know it. But did you pick up on the on the uh, character of Honor Jackson? Other with, than the with, fact, no, I, I actually with, with the patch over his eye, one eye Jack. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Gotcha. <laughs> okay. Yep. Oh, that crazy Grant Morrison. Oh, he's awesome. <laughs> Hey guys, it's David D. Calling. Uh, I enjoy the show very much, and I'm glad to be leaving you my first voicemail. Uh, Vince had to actually email me your uh, voicemail number because I couldn't find it. For the, for the life of me, I couldn't find it online. For everybody out there listening, it is 206 312 5239. And don't be, you know, don't get thrown off by the fact that it answers sounding like the front for a criminal business because it's a voice you've never heard before just saying, please leave your facts now or whatever it is. I, hopefully, if this ends up on the air, you'll know that number actually works. And I wanted to share that with the other listeners because I think your voicemail number is uh, uh, harder to find than the clitoris. So anyway, I wanted to leave you a, uh, a voicemail because I love the show. I love a little comics. And uh, there's been some, there's been kind of a, 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 a negative thread running through your voicemail. You know, you play your voicemails in the episodes, you give them, you sort of feature them. And uh, and I get that. You know, some people need to get some stuff off their chest. They need to kind of, you know, they want to rant a bit, and that's all right. That's fair. Sometimes you got to get that stuff out. Sometimes our comics let us down, and, you know, we pay good money for them. So I suppose, you know, we're allowed to, um, you know, spit some venom and, vim and vinegar about all that. But I want to, to help provide a balance, I have a little list that I've thrown together of some things I'm psyched about, things that are either coming out right now or have been announced and are coming out soon that absolutely make me psyched to be reading comics and having the money to buy the comics, uh, you know, as a grown man here in 2008, heading into 2009. Okay, so here are some things that I am psyched about. Uh, your horror episode, I thought that was great. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I know it was like a month or something ago, but um, it, was, it was cool to hear the horror books get the love. Plus, whenever Chris Neesman says horror, it sounds like he says whore. And it sounds like he's talking about whore books and the whore books that he liked as a kid and classic 50s whore books. And I'm just juvenile enough to chuckle every time uh, he said that. So that made me enjoy the episode even more. Plus, I loved all the horror books that you guys featured and gave some love to. And uh, one that I think didn't make your list that I'm psyched about right now, because it is actually one of the truly most horrifying things I've read in a long time, is uh, Crossed by uh, Garth Ennis and I think... Jason Burroughs. I apologize. I should have looked up who the artist is. I'm like the anti-David uh, insofar as I'm, I'm terrible at noticing and remembering and giving enough credit to the artists. I always tend to notice the writers, so that's my bad. But uh, Cross is an incredibly shocking and horrifying and really um, compelling, frankly, book so far. It's, um, I'd say I would compare it to a zombie book, but because it seems to be more about a kind of fanaticism that spreads, it's, uh, to me, actually even more scary. So uh, Crossed from Avatar, and so much good stuff from Avatar. Avatar gets us psyched. I'm psyched about all the creators that are working at Avatar and getting to work without limits, and uh, there's just a lot of exciting books coming out uh, more than ever from Avatar, including Alan Moore books. You know, I just ordered some, some new Alan Moore graphic novels. I mean, that's fantastic. Anyway, continuing on, um, the sort of horror vibe. Uh, I love that Vertigo has an original graphic novel series. Let's move from uh, horror into crime. Uh, those crime OGNs that have been announced coming out under editor Will Dennis, who is, I think, one of the best editors in comics. Uh, things like there's an Ian, I don't know how to 
pronounce his name. I think it's Ian Rankin, who's a um, novelist, is doing a Constantine uh, OGN that sounds cool. There's uh, Simon Oliver, I believe, is doing an OGN in that line. There's just a whole series of crime graphic novels coming out from Vertigo. Uh, that's great. I'm psyched about that. What else? Um, there is a Vigilante series coming from Marv Wolfen and Rick Leonardi, who I'm glad to see on something other than DC Decisions. Uh, a Vigilante series, a new one. How great is that? I, uh, you know, I know that there was a mini series that kind of was lame. A few of them actually in between, but this is Marv Wolfman back on Vigilante. I'm psyched. Sign me up. Uh, Andy Diggle is going to be writing Thunderbolts. I really loved the Warren Ellis uh, Thunderbolts. Uh, it was different than Thunderbolts, which I've read from the beginning, but it was good, and I think Andy Diggle is going to be uh, great on it. And I'm excited to see what he will do with that. I'm a little sad that he's leaving Hellblazer so soon. I'm a little sad that Simon Oliver isn't taking over Hellblazer, as at one point briefly he was going to. Though I do have to say, since Simon Oliver will end up writing other things, and uh, Peter Milligan coming on Hellblazer, that's actually pretty exciting too, since uh, maybe Milligan should have gone back to Vertigo a while ago, and now he is. So I'm psyched to see what Peter Milligan's going to do on Hellblazer. I'm psyched for issue 250, which returns Jamie Delano, the Hellblazer, along with some other creators, including Azzarello, that are, hasn't done a Hellblazer story in a long time, so that 250th landmark issue. Hell, the fact that, as I wrote at length in Comics Now, issues 3 and 4, uh, buy them if you can find them, the fact that a title like Hellblazer, did you see what I did there? Just slid it in. Just, just slid the plug in. Smooth, smoothly, I thought. Anyway, the fact that Hellblazer, a book like that, doesn't have a superhero on the lead, uh, isn't tied into a movie. I mean, they made a movie later, but you know what I mean. Uh, the fact that a property like that can go 20-plus years in this market, in markets that have come and gone over those 20 years, I'm psyched that Hellblazer is still alive, still kicking, uh, and perhaps is going to be better than ever. But hell, still alive. Still alive is good enough. I'm almost at the end of the list. Uh, I will save some things that I'm psyched about, perhaps for another call. But uh, last couple bits... The fact that Jason Aaron is writing a Ghost Rider book that's worth reading, I never thought I would I mean, even when I bought Ghost Rider in the 90s, I think I kind of hated it. There was some great art on it, but it was like, what? This is just such a ridiculous character. The fact I read that first trade of Jason Aaron on Ghost Rider, I'll be damned if he didn't actually make a character like Ghost Rider feel like he made sense, like actually presented him in a world in a tone of story that didn't make him ridiculous. That is no small task. So I'm excited for more Jason Aaron Ghost Rider. And uh, I'm going to cut it off there because that's plenty. Uh, feel free to cut this up and don't have to play the whole thing if you want. But, uh, but those are the things I'm psyched about. And I wanted to use your voicemail to share that enthusiasm, uh, you know, because there's, you know, there's comics worth complaining about. Absolutely, there always will be. There's also comics worth being psyched about. So thanks for the show, guys. As always, looking forward to the next episode. Keep up the good work and talk to you another time. I, that's the thing about Grant. I've never read a story of his where I didn't, I wasn't just amazed at the guy's ability to craft a story with, with even the, the, the most inconsequential things like the roses outside Arkham have centipedes crawling in them as if to say there's, there's beauty here but it's been tainted by something and that just ties into Jezebel which we didn't know until the last issue but that, that was a little, little clue as to the, the perfect beauty is not all that she's but cracked you, up to be. But do you even know if Morrison put that there? Or yes. was it Tony Daniels? No, I don't think Daniels put it there. I, I think know, more. You know, but you don't because know that. I mean, I think this is sometimes you give, you know, Tom, you know, the, the like you said, the vulture character and the and the the Wayne's metaphor in the beginning. You know, is that there or isn't it, or is it just a? I mean, I don't why, think there's anything a in a in a Morrison story that doesn't exist for a reason. Uh, I think he's I, I think he's meticulous in his scripting. 
Daniel was... I don't know. I he was, he was, he was a bit inconsistent with some of his sequentials. I don't think he's going to draw bugs on flowers. That's what I mean. I mean, why would he put a centipede in yeah. a rose without being directed from the, the, the dude that's pulling the shots? I, I don't know. Oh, I don't I, know either. I, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm just guessing. I, I, there's no conspiracy theory here. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just guessing, you know. <laughs> uh, but, you know, is that, is that saying something about Jezeb, you know, Jezebel, or is it saying something about Arkham, or is it saying? Well, I, I would attribute it to, to Jezebel. When when you, what's a, uh, what could possibly it's, be in this story? What what would be symbolic of, of by using a flower? What's that a symbolism for? There's nothing beautiful going on in Arkham. True. Well, you know, I I just whittle it down to what Arkham is a possibly, hospital at some point. I mean, you know, maybe it's a, a statement on uh, the. You know, the 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 psychological world of you know practice of uh, psychological it could be. Uh, medicine. I you know who I mean when you yeah well you can interpret these stuff. things yeah yeah uh, and maybe it's nothing <laughs> you know I don't know right I I don't think there are any coincidences with Morrison I think it's but, as as evidenced by this discussion it's not uh, there's very little in a Morrison story that's that's not open to interpretation I mean everybody can get something different. At yeah, that's page. cool. And that's, yeah, you're right. You're right. Did you did you like the part where Batman sees the city and it's got the grid pattern mm-hmm. overlaid on nice it? I thought gargoyles. that I thought that thing was brilliant because he's he's kind of alluding to the fact that maybe Gotham is this living organism and created Batman as an antibody to rid the city organism <laughs> of of invaders, you know, of of something that shouldn't be in there. He alludes to that. Uh, Almost specifically in that page. Yeah, that's why I, I just love him. I, I think he's great. Yeah, you know, I, I enjoyed the series, but I really am looking forward to Batman just being a detective again, <laughs> just being a guy that puts on a cape and cowl. And, well, for, and all, for all the things that you you know, like you say, you love about Morrison, it's like some of those things is what I think makes him a inefficient, ineffective writer for I mainstream mean, books. Yeah. Well, yeah, I suppose. You should tailor the story for the audience, and I don't think this story is custom-made for the typical bat reader. Well, I don't necessarily have a problem with that either. I I just think that sometimes he throws too many random ideas that he has about something into into a story that really has little to do with the story that he's telling, or at least seemingly has little to do... uh, I mean, it's fine. It, you know, it's it's great to have symbolism and 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 uh, uh, and that in a, in a story. I, I I enjoy that too. But the difference between like Morrison and Alan Moore, say, is Morrison's <laughs> symbolism seems to be random and like so abstract that it 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 doesn't make it much of a connection to the story, as opposed to used to enhance the story. Uh, a lot of times, not not all the time. I mean, I just think yeah. a lot of times it seems like, you know, like scattershot ideas thrown in because he had a good idea about something that's not really fully formed, and and he just wow. you know wants to throw it in there. See, I don't see that at all. Uh, and and it, I don't know if you're referring to the the city grid pattern page, but I I thought Bruce being in an altered state, that's when he would see something like that. I don't know. Well. I, you know, the whole, <laughs> I see a lot of things in the altered, altered states. <laughs> altered state thing. I mean, that, uh, <laughs> what did you guys think about 
the Batmite. I loved, I loved it. I loved Batmite. And the whole, you know, well, you told me that you were from the fifth dimension, but you're a figment of my imagination. It's like, the fifth dimension is imagination. <laughs> I, I, love that. A, I thought it was a fucking brilliant one. I, yeah. did, did you notice that he kept... Uh, change, change, changing due to the sur- surroundings, like when when Bruce was in the room, he had a kind of a cockroach look to him, with the 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 arms around his back, and then in one panel he actually looked like a bat. Well, did you notice the he kept changing the spelling of might? Right. Yep. From you know M I T E to M I G H T. Yeah. Uh, it's I have no idea what it meant, but you know I'm it's like oh okay he's doing something there. So and it was it was. Nice to see might tell uh, tell Bruce or Batman that uh, reminding him of all these old cases from the fifties and the sixties where you know you thanks to the army and you deciding to go into space and and you know because of the crazy gases and this is so even even stories that were read in the Silver Age could still be relevant today just because of the altered state he was in. Right. Yep. Well, it's. Uh, I guess we should probably get into the um, um, Zoran Ah uh, mm-hmm. alter ego, which I guess in the story was a way I'm understanding it is that that was kind of a fail-safe personality that Bruce had kind of put in his subconscious. Is that right? The the Zoran Ah was a trigger phrase implanted in Bruce's from, from, mind. From, yeah. From from Hurt, from Dr. Hurt, right? Right, right. But he he did a double take and he turned it around against Dr. Hurt and he used it as a mantra where Zorin R, he turned it into one of his earliest memories into Zorro in Arkham. Right. Well, but the, the personality he had, he had put there in case he was... Yes, right. right. Yes, yes, yes. But, yes. And, and you could assume that he put that personality there on the night that his parents were killed because it the very last page in the story does Morrison specifically says Zorro, uh, Zorro and Arkham so you can argue that he's been working on this backup personality since that night well the only thing the problem with that is it is that Batman didn't exist until long after no, that no Batman didn't exist but Bruce's mind did I mean the 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 trauma of of seeing <laughs> Actually, his parents it, it, executed it, it, right it, in front it, of him. I mean, she even says well, the character is Batman without Bruce. I mean, yeah. I understand what you're saying, but I don't. I mean, I think it's it's just the shielding of of sort of pain uh, that he that the process was probably started there. But I don't know. I mean, it doesn't make much sense that a whatever twelve year old kid would. I mean, well, that, I don't that think was, I don't think it was intentionally. At yeah. that point, done. I don't think. I think you're giving too much credit to a young Bruce Wayne, maybe. But even to intentionally I mean, do you, that that sort of thing. I think it's something that was built. Oh, not completely, but it it may have been the start. It of was because I mean, of him many, subconsciously realizing that. I mean, I may need this memory someday, and you, you file it away somewhere, and you know, because you, you, who knows how the mind works? He may have just taken this and used it as a, a fulcrum to start. The backup personality, because he, he didn't even know he did it until that that trigger phrase kicked in. Well, really, see, I see, I took it as he had done it intentionally in case that he had ever been, you know, altered or or psychologically attacked. He had intent, you know, Bruce Wayne intentionally created this personality as a defense mechanism, not not specifically for 
this instance, but any instance, you know, it's just one of one of the one of the things that he had planned, always planning for any any uh, uh, any happening is that you know he he created this in case anyone were to attack his mind. Yeah, but how do you create a backup personality willingly? How how do you do that to say <laughs> you know con- convince yourself that okay, if this happens, it's almost like a subroutine. If this, then this. How 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 do you? Well, you're talking about you know, sort of Batman. And, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you're, you know, he's he's spent you know years and years training his mind. I mean, you can only assume. How does a guy bench press 600 pounds of dirt? He doesn't. But Batman did. Right. And not eas- Well, he he did it, but not easily. <laughs> was wasn't that the possible. line? And, but but <laughs> the only the only way he realized that something was there was when he went into the the ritual where he stripped everything away and he said. You know, there's something else in here, and then that's when he was susceptible to whatever. But well, but that's I, what I mean. I think he had. I think he had planned for this sort of thing to happen possibly before that. Right, I think but I'm saying the trigger though, of it. But I think the he had sort of the contingency of this before. Right, but how would he not know it's there then? In in creating well, the backup personality, would he convince himself that it didn't exist? Yeah, I would imagine. I mean, that's, that's the whole. Well, that's sort that's of the whole. Nuts. Point, yeah, well, that's nuts. Cr- yeah, that's crap. Well, he is. My he thing, is. Though, he is I, nuts. Yeah, my thing was uh, what I enjoyed about that Zer and R Batman was it really reminded me of the All Star Bat the All Star Batman Frank Miller's All Star Batman character just completely merciless and crazy. Yeah, I mean, I thought and colorful. Very, <laughs> yeah, very <laughs> colorful. Yeah, and, and again, Morrison goes out of his way to tell you that Zorro means the fox in Spanish. Crazy like a fox. You have a, a seemingly insane person in Arkham Asylum surrounded by people that want to do him bodily harm. They think he's crazy, but he's he's crazy like a fox. He's sly to the point where he's acting on a level that to, to anyone who's, who perceives what this guy's doing, it seems insane, but it's not. There, there's There's a reason why he's doing all these things. Well... I guess an insane person doesn't know they're insane. I mean, everything makes sense to them, right? But but also, the public at large perceives an insane person as insane because they're thinking on a level that's way different than what the status quo tells everybody is is sane. Sure. sure. So they may not be in, they not may not be crazy or insane. They're just operating in another mode. Well, yeah. I mean, I I think in, you know, I mean, insanity is sort of a. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's like it's, a, it's 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 constructed. It's not, you know, as much as clinical psychology wants to sort of put it in a box. It's to the you know even at this point in in our culture, you, you, they haven't been able to define <laughs> insanity necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, but that's see, a whole yeah, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. But um, again, with the red and the black, the the one comment that the Joker makes. About um, now you're here, now you're here, and now you ain't. The the red and the black could also be life and death, where where life takes the red as blood. You know, there's vitality, and death is black, nothingness. So that's another way you can perceive the whole red and black uh, motif that runs through the whole thing. It's nuts how much Morrison put into this series. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly a lot of uh, a lot of stuff in there. Um 
and and a lot of it's pretty ex- to the average reader is extraneous. I mean, you can read this thing and take it all at face value and still have a good time. Well, I mean, don't you think? I mean, don't you think on some level it's sort of almost overkill? Well, it's just unnecessary. I, I mean, I, I well, maybe not so. unnecessary, but sort of. Uh, it's to me, rich. It seems, well, I suppose, but to me, uh, sometimes it comes off as as smoke. Ah, you know what I mean. Uh, mm-hmm. For a relatively, in my opinion, sort of bland story, really. Wow, I big mean, balls well, on you. Hey, <laughs> well, like I said, I, I I enjoyed the previous arc more yeah, so than this one necessarily. Uh, or two arcs ago, whatever it was, but not. And I'm not sitting. I, I mean, I just think if you strip away all of all of sort of that stuff, the the these you know superfluous, uh, you know, delving into these different uh, uh, possible you know meanings and 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 stuff, and and just sort of strip that away and look at just the story as as sort of plot based uh, character and character moments and what happens in the story. There's there's really not all that much there in, in comparison to, you know, I don't know, uh, well, even in, you know, just in comparison of other stuff that he's written. It, I mean, it's okay. To me, it, it, I liked it. I did like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and like I said, I think he's a, f- a fabulous writer. I think he's extremely brilliant, way smarter than I'll ever be, and, and a very talented writer, He you know. But I just think don't. sometimes this stuff, like... For me, it just kind of gets in the way of of better. I think what could be maybe better stories. Yeah. Well, don't cut yourself down. I mean, you got a pretty good head on your shoulders. But I, I think, from what I know of you, you approach things from a realist standpoint. Am I right? Uh. What what you see is what you perceive, and anything you don't see may or may not be there, and you're not going to concern yourself with it. In, no, as opposed not necessarily. To what I mean, it depends. I mean, honestly, my some of my favorite writers are, are very allegorical and uh, you know uh, subtle writers. I just I don't I don't think Morrison does it as well as better writers. And I'm not meaning, saying about meaning no, Alan saying, Moore. I'm, well, I'm not saying comic book writers. I mean, I'm just saying I think he's trying to do something that doesn't fit into comics necessarily, and. Mm. Maybe he's making comics fit into what he wants to do. Maybe he's elevating them. Uh, but is he? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, to I mean, have a, a, a story this rich in a Batman title. Well, yeah, he's training the reader to think the way he wants them to 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 think. That's see, that's not that's not good storytelling to me. Oh, to why teach. not? Well, because you should you, be. A- more at the service of your readers than than them at the service of you. That's arrogance and sort of hubris to to force people to read what. Well, I mean, here, here it's why I especially don't... especially Batman for for fifty sixty years, however Batman's been around for the majority of that time, we've we've received Biff Bam Pow Batman stories. Not all, and and majority of the Batman stories, sure. From 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 the golden age to the end of the silver age, it was all fluffy. Well, I discount you know. anything then. So it doesn't well, well, that's the majority of <laughs> of Batman's life. Well, that's just the majority of comic books. I mean, that's you know. Well, uh, you know what? Okay, I, I, I wasn't necessarily. I was going to maybe bring this up later, but it's something I was thinking about the other day uh, in comics and how my personal tastes in comics have changed in the last few years, and how I I have a harder time finding things that I enjoy. 
And and I think part of the problem is that uh, as I've matured, as I've gotten older, and and comics have tried to sort of keep up with readers like me who are you know 30s, 40s, uh, and and want sort of deeper, uh, richer, uh, better storytelling, um, uh, and, and, and sort of, uh, more uh, developed characters and, and, and that kind of thing. And, and, and I think comics in the last few years have really sort of tried to, to go more cinematic. I mean, you see it, you've seen it, you know, in the last four or five years, how a lot more of comics are, are, are just drawn more cinematically. They're written much more like that, um, the characters uh, are trying to be developed deeper and deeper, but the problem I think lies in the fact that an average movie script, say, takes you know two three years to write. Uh, an average novel takes you know two three years to write. An average comic book they get thirty day you know thirty days to write. Yeah, mo- honestly, most comics are are written in a week to two weeks because you have a lot of writers that are writing for. Four comics a month. So, well, I don't know. know how many. There's not that many writers that are writing four a month. Well, you'll get a guy. Well, maybe is writing four a month. Well, but no, it's. Uh, I'd actually. Uh, like Brian, K, Brian K. Vaughn writes uh, one comic script uh, a week. I think was was his was his regular schedule for quite a while. So, you know, well, but but we but, saw but that guy. But <laughs> yeah, but 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 I think your, your point taken is that is that these things are hammered out pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, I just don't think that you, they, you know, it's like the industry wants better stories and 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 richer, more sort of uh, more mature. And I don't mean mature in the fact, like you know, sex and blood and, and that kind of thing, but mature in in their storytelling. Yet they don't, you know, we haven't changed the philosophy on how they're made. Do, I mean, do you, you see, think, do, you, do you think that the that the graphic novel treatment is gonna is gonna help that? I sure hope so. I mean, yeah. you look at something, you know, you brought up Brian K. Vaughn. Look at, you know, like his best work, you know, something like Pride of Baghdad, which I'm sure he didn't pump out in a week. No, um, I think that was like a labor of love from like over a year that he yeah. was. Yeah. And but, then you yeah. see the quality of it. At the risk of being a, a Morrison apologist, I, I have to say, I think he's the exception to the rule. Because remember, Doom Patrol was kicked out on a monthly basis. A lot, almost what, 60, 70 issues of Doom Patrol? Uh, Animal Man was a monthly comic. Invisibles, he did on the traditional monthly schedule. So, for, And those are some of the richest, most uh, mind-expanding books comics I've ever seen. And he did it on a schedule. So I don't think you can plug the him into the, 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 the standard equation in terms of how these things are produced because he's shown time again that he can do outstanding revolutionary work on a schedule it seems that he has a plan whereas he may not he may just be winging it and 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 he's been incredibly lucky to this point yeah but, but the books you brought up i mean it, i mean if you look at those books compared to what's being produced today story-wise mm-hmm. i mean not, and, and they're all great I, i'm not denying that at all but i mean the the amount of uh, sort of information that's in those comparative to what is trying to be put into a 22-page comic book today is a lot less. I mean, th- those stories were are much lighter in in the sense of. Um, <laughs> you read Invisibles, right? 
I'm not talking. I'm not talking about how much he packs into uh, how many you know how many loose ideas he packs into uh, a page. I'm talking mm-hmm. you know uh, Cons- about conceptual. More so, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, um, and and don't get me wrong. I th- I think he he has done great, absolutely fantastic stuff uh, mm-hmm. on a monthly schedule. And I'm not saying it's impossible to do. I, I was talking more general, not necessarily. Uh, just Morrison or, or you know any specific writer I was just sort of, of talking you know comics in general um, in that regards but mm. I mean Animal Man is as as good as that is there's you know there's a lot going on sort of in between the panels in that but you know from beginning to end as far as character arc mm-hmm. um, it's it's kind of short yeah, but as much that, you know what I mean, as much as much that that happens to Buddy, um, his actual sort of development is because of the format, not because of Morrison is is kind of stunted. Even though he you know he he really gets in there and 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 tears that character to pieces, it's it's not giving the it's not it wasn't given the proper breathing room that maybe it sh- right. it could. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's only no, rev- yeah. those comics are only revolutionary in comics. You know, if oh, you take see, those out of comics, oh yeah, I completely disagree with you there. Okay, a, sto- well. a story is a story, whether it's you know sequential art or words on a page. I, well, I don't know. True enough, I, I don't disagree. But those, you know, a comic story and a twenty-two page comic book story and a four hundred page or fifteen hundred page novel are much different animals. Right, but you can't and, compare the two. There's a different procedure of creating each one. Certainly, uh, but like you said, a story's a story, and you exactly. And a, and a 22-page comic story is not the entire picture, whereas a novel may or may not be the entire picture. But there's a, a more of a chance where this novel is the entire picture, and it was written to be the entire picture, whereas well, a monthly book is just a shred. Of but the, that's of what the, I'm uh, saying, though, is that they're trying to pack in the same sort of storytelling. In six twenty-two page issues, as opposed to, well, not if you're Brian Bendis, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's more like six years. I don't know. <laughs> hey there, eleven o'clock comicers, and Vince, Chris, David, and Wood. This is Raph, the legendary wielder of the Raph Radia, the legend that will stand forever. Uh, it's been a while since I've transmitted with my Raph Radia, but with the last issue of Batman R.I.P. out this week, I thought I would talk about it. So yeah, there are going to be spoilers. Um... You're not sword of it! Oh, you have to read the book. You're reading the book, aren't you? You're reading it right now. Uh, you're reading it. Even though my mind is cracked, you're gonna read it anyway. It was really good. This is Batman at his best. A being of pure order. Even though his mind has been cracked, he still deduces his enemies and creates order out of chaos. It was really good. Oh, man. Um, I'd also like to give a shout-out to Tom, the manager over at uh, 
the Grand Central location of Midtown Comics, who is a loyal 11 o'clock comics listener. Thanks for listening, Tom, and thanks for being a pal. I really enjoyed Batman R.I.P. Uh, I hope that people gave it a shot, and if you need any explanations, feel free to PM me or check out my podcast. Uh, That wraps it up. I mean, you know, I thought it was a great ending. Uh, There was a lot of... I mean, essentially, Batman is the ultimate agent of order. He's no longer a human being. He's an agent of order. And for him to defeat his enemies after they psychologically broke him, physically broke him with drug addiction, and left him buried alive, I mean, seriously, nothing can stop Batman. The Raph Radia is evidence of that. All right. Well, and let's just go anyway. on the surface. One thing on the surface. Let's just hammer this out. What do you think? Is Jet dead? Did the man bats kill her? Oh, um, yeah. I don't. I hope. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> knowing knowing Talia, I mean, she's a cold, calculated yeah, bitch, say, is, bitch of a woman. You, you, she she fucked with Tal with Talia, and yeah, she's she's dead. Yeah. I hope she's dead. Yeah. yeah, you you don't you don't fuck with the daughter of the demon. Yep, <laughs> and she died in a jet. How appropriate. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I assumed as much. I assumed that that she was. I mean, what was was her fate ever in doubt from like the first moment that you met her? It's yeah. like this chick is gonna die. I mean, they born, they, born to die. Yeah, yeah. was Doctor. Oh, but by, 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 by the way, we should we should mention this. Uh, this is a, a spoiler filled episode. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sorry. Yeah. What were you saying? What, is hurt dead? Uh, I don't know. If he's the devil, then no. I don't yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think, and, you know, I think intentionally so Morrison probably left, you know, like, you know, a scene like that with Jet. It's like, well, maybe she is, maybe she is, and maybe some, you know, maybe someone else will use her again, maybe, you know, another writer. Uh, I mean, because he's, 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 he's sort of brought that up in the past about um, how he likes to sort of leave things open. Um, well, not necessarily just open evident, but you know, I mean, he does. There's no question the guy loves comic books, and he likes yeah. to leave things so that you know the, the stories can go on. Right. Well, I think he realizes that the art form is a collaborative effort because these characters are owned by a corporation. They're, they can't be anything but. There will always be somebody new to write these things, right. and he realizes that. So he leaves things well, somewhat, I, somewhat I, amorphous to somebody else to come on and, sure, and yeah, flesh yeah. it out. I think he, I think he, as a writer, looks for those little cracks in the pavement out there, and so I think he's very conscious of them, and so he leaves those kind of similar cracks out there for future writers to say, "Hey, there's there's a story in there that that I can kind of kind of chisel out for my own." I mean, he, he, you saw him do that with the with the Zoran Ah, um, uh, ver- what that was from like a. 19 what 60 what? 40 no 40 right 40 or 50 it's an old story i think the 50s 50s yeah, yeah ni- 1950s era batman story that, that he pulled that character out of and that's 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 brilliant there that is well it's either brilliant or it's you know I, wait I, the character of zorna yeah no, no, no. That, yeah yeah that 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 version of batman appeared in and I think it's like 141 or something, one, around there. Yeah, it's like like what was years it? ago. 
he was an alternate alternate universe or another planet Batman. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But I mean, we can go on about I this have, all night. I, I did have one question, uh, mm. and and I think I maybe know the answer. But when how did Batman stop being Zor- Zorana Batman? What triggered they they the uh, signal they, from the no, Bat- no. radio? When he went, no, to, he, when he became Batman, they buried him. He was put in the same kind of situation that he was during the Thogol ritual. It was a second. He, se- second he, he was um, uh, sensory deprivation. Yeah, the casket basically, and whenever mm-hmm. he emerged from the from the casket, he he came out as Batman again. the The trip mm-hmm. was over, I guess. Which is why I think the, the this story started off a lot stronger than it ended, at least as far as how we. Yeah, we go from one issue to the next. It started off really tight. And then, you know, you go from 680 with Jezebel standing up out of the chair while Bruce is going nuts. And we open with a couple of all-black panels, turn the page, and here's Batman buried alive in a straitjacket in a coffin under loose soil a few feet underground. And it it just, it kind of... Never mind, you know, there was a cliffhanger of the issue before, but it just kind of stopped me cold. And there were just things that... At, it, it, okay, no, go ahead. No, I'm not going to say anything. Go ahead. It, <laughs> I was just going to say... <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> well, no, no. Well, I, well, what would be the point of of him detailing the burying process? No, you're absolutely right. And, and we didn't... I'm just saying that we went from issue to issue early on. It was for... Now, whatever crap I want to give Tony Daniel for the work he did on this, and there is plenty of crap I can give him, yeah. there isn't – going from issue to issue – I mean, he spent more time putting good quality work on the page early on in the story. It just – to me, it got sloppy as it went on. I mean, oh, okay. at, at, at first, at first it was uh, – you know, thank you guys tonight for telling me that uh, that Robin was reading the case book. Because for the life of me, I thought that was fucking Jason Todd. I thought that was the Red Hood that the mime and, uh, and Buckethead were after. I thought that was Jason. <laughs> I didn't know that that was, I didn't know, I didn't know that that was Tim. And <laughs> Why would you Buckethead. think it was Jason? Because he's got the helmet, he's got the leather jacket on. It looked like he was wearing something that the Red Hood would have worn during the Under the Hood storyline, and he was on a freaking motorcycle. So and and, and, and the helmet was red too. Yes. Yeah. So the whole thing, I just thought, okay, so I and so that everybody's got Bruce and Dick, and everybody's got the same fucking hairstyle, and it's well, I did have a problem with that at one point. Uh, although, although I think Dick's is slightly longer. Dick's is longer. That's the, that's <sighs> Thank God that's that. how that's how I made sense out of that scene. And with slightly Robin. taller, and he's taller than Tim, obviously. Right. I said, okay, his hair's shorter. This has to be Robin. The, the, the one. I'm sorry. No, no. Go ahead. I, I was just gonna say oh, the one scene that I really. It took me a minute to. Ha- I had to look at it again to try and figure out who the hell it was. Was when uh, uh, Dick got put in, uh, got locked up by Brousseau in in the yeah. Arkham. I didn't. I could for the life of me at first. I couldn't figure out who the hell that was because it looked like Bruce. 
And I'm like, why is he in a straight jacket? How did that happen? And then the next panel, he's got the mask, and it's like, oh, okay, it's Nightwing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Once they showed the mask, it was like, oh, okay, well, that's that's. I I I kind of picked out that it was Dick. Well, see, the problem, the the issue I had even with the mask because when I first looked at the mask, I'm thinking, well, that looks like the mask Doctor Hurt's wearing, kind of, and I'm like, it was just confusing because of the, well, because it's Morrison and the art was. you know, Not up to Morrison quality storytelling. The 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 last issue had a page that I must have stared at for a few minutes, and that was Damien driving Alfred in the Batmobile and Joker's ambulance going off the bridge. And I'm trying to figure out what the fuck's going on in those two panels. I'm like, what the? F- oh, God, I just I almost put the I almost had to put it down and walk away. But I was like, like we're red and black. Well, yeah, my. Uh, Two two things that I would have liked to have seen more. I thought that Damien's part in the series was really underscored. I I actually like the Damien character, and there are probably a lot of Batman fans out there that are cursing me for saying that. But I I really like that character's introduction into the into the Batverse, and I want to I want to see more of that, especially the relationship between he and Tim. I yeah, think no. it's, is a lot of I don't know if I want to call it fun, but it's it's certainly interesting. But um, the I think he's a little too spoiled. Bradish. Oh yes, especially yes. as soon as in, in this in this storyline, he starts off with telling his mother, "I want a Batmobile." Well, I mean, my, well, don't, I don't you think he that? I, no, I, don't I, have a, I, I get I don't, that. I don't have a problem with him being a spoiled brat because he would be. But he's got a lot to prove in this in this book in these issues. That's it, it, and there just wasn't very much of him in it, and anything he said was sort of to reinforce that he was a spoiled brat, and that's yes. all. That's that's. It was a very um, one-dimensional character. So like four, that, he's in four that, panels. Sure, and that yeah. that was one of my complaints is that you know now we're we're only seeing that one side of him. That that character's yeah. not developing like I want to see him develop because there's got to be something you know redeeming about about Damien, which hopefully we will see you know at some point. Oh, the other it. one was um, the the League of, uh, of of Heroes or what? Yeah, is, you know, but it was like three pages maybe total and just like Sal said that's been probably my favorite story of of Morrison's run on Batman I thought was a was a fantastic arc and whenever they you know it was the full you know the the full splash page of of them coming onto the scene I was like oh man how awesome and it was like two pages later it was over <laughs> yeah well I think they had to be in this story he well, had to find a way yeah. to to work them out. Oh, sure. Yeah, because I, I, would, yeah. I would have rather him have dealt away with some of the um, kind of obtuse bullshit and and work them into the story a little bit more, maybe a little bit more you know plot driven stuff instead of the you know kind Red of black at, instead of the, in the, yeah in, <laughs> instead instead of building and hey flowers. <laughs> He builds atmosphere so well, but you know, let's face it—you got 22 pages to, to work with here. So I would have rather have seen him use that to to build some plot as opposed to atmosphere. Right. Personally, essentially- I'm just disappointed that Batman, the the crazy purple Batman, isn't isn't around anymore. Because I could have read three years of that cat character running around driving everybody nuts. That <laughs> <laughs> Read all-star Batman and Robin. Well, I do. Yeah, I, I guess that's why I like them. 
Well, getting back to the League of Heroes, just for a second. Yeah. I think they belong in the story because they're what they are essentially is a group of heroic archetypes. They're Batmans Batman from other countries. And Batman is assisted by this group of heroic archetypes. There's a there's a knight, there's a cowboy, there's an Indian. You you have these characters that have been used for in in storytelling thousands of years appearing in this this transitory transitional tale where they needed to be there. I don't know any other way to put it that the, that group was, it was essential that they appear in this story because and it, and it, tied, you, it tied together what he had been doing in in earlier stories and I agree. Yeah. I wanted to see more of them. Yeah. What would have changed? I, they're cool. Well, it's just another statement on the 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 nature of of the heroic character. Whereas you you have um the ideals. Well, there's a reason why these characters become archetypes. They're the heroic ideal and Morrison was trying to apply that in a way saying that, you know, Batman is our heroic ideal and he meshes well with these characters because of what he is. Wow. That's looking I I think that's assuming a lot, Vince. Well, why are they there? There there's a reason why everything is in this story. There's to nothing save Tim. superfluous. Yeah, to save well, Tim yeah, but, so that Tim can but, then but, show up at Arkham without leaving Gotham, but see, see, you know. Tim could have saved himself. He's done it. He did it even in this story. He saved himself. I don't think anything is left to chance in this tale. I think you give him too much credit. Nah. <laughs> I think you give him a little too much credit. Not to say that he's not great. And not to say that, that but, he doesn't certainly put a lot of stuff in there for people to find. Uh, right. But I'm just I, going by I past performance. Well, I, but, I mean, to to read that much into two panels of these characters coming in and essentially not doing much of anything. It's well, a, a lot of... Exactly. They're not doing much of anything other than being there. And and why would he waste two or whatever as many pages on these characters when he could have done H, it another way? He H, wanted them in there. There, there, was so, there was so much fat to trim in, the, in this. Oh, there's no fat at all in this story. <laughs> to oh. you. I mean, you're you're once again, it's assumption. You don't yeah, and I'm crazy. So <laughs> no, bat bat shit crazy. I am. I just I'm I'm. What what did Mike say? Um, magoo, uh, oh, cuckoo, oh, magoo, crazy. Magoo. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, whatever. I love him. Well, <laughs> I think I just think. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you're right. Maybe he he. Maybe it's all there, but. I think sometimes I think that's part of my problem with Morrison is that I think sometimes people give him credit for things that maybe aren't there or maybe they are not intentionally. I mean, that's the other thing that sometimes I think people forget is that sometimes things are put in, you know, from a writer's mind subconsciously. They're not even aware necessarily of the subtext that they're putting into something. And I mean, and I think that happens a lot more often than people maybe realize, uh, and yeah. I mean, you see it all the time. Writers will say, "Well, I didn't intend for that." You know, I didn't. I mean, uh, what uh, Robert Frost uh, sometimes. Uh, um, well, no, I was thinking of uh, uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and, and the the you know the whole Christian metaphor. I mean, he swore up and down that it wasn't intentional; that it was just subconsciously what he was writing about. Yet people, really, oh, absolutely. I, I think C.S. Lewis was pretty was pretty 
straightforward about that. I think it was Tolkien and and the the Lord of the Rings where he's like, yeah, there's no Christian metaphor. And and, and well, no, Lewis had <laughs> said that he wasn't intended. Really? I mean, not that he wasn't saying that it wasn't there. He was saying he what he didn't he didn't intentionally sit down before he wrote this and said this is what I'm going to do. Oh, okay. He wrote a story and it came out through his subconscious. That's who he is. That's what writers do. They write who they are, and and that's. That's what came out of him. He didn't sit down and go, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna cleverly hide this Christian metaphor in this fantasy tale. Uh, he, you know, and people, but people, you know, had to believe that. And I and I think that's sometimes what happens with Morrison and and maybe you know I don't know. I like I said I I'm, I'm speculating. I don't know, but I think I know. You know, I've read enough interviews with writers though over and over again that say yeah i didn't intend for that people are seeing things that i didn't intentionally put in there uh i think you know alan moore is one of the few guys that does do a lot more of that intentionally and sometimes i think it gets some it gets kind of silly but uh i just it, it it gets it gets under my skin for some reason when you know writers are 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 you know, like Morrison are called these brilliant genius people because of these things that people see that maybe he put it put in intentionally, maybe he didn't, and they're just seeing it because you know because they want to. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not saying one way or the other. Maybe I just don't see it because I'm not smart enough. Maybe you know uh, I don't see it because I don't want to. Uh, I don't. I don't know what you know. You know where the the truth's probably somewhere in between. But I just think it, for whatever reason it gets it gets under my skin a little bit. Uh, and 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 I have a hard time when I see things like that that seem contrived, that that seem like that sometimes writers then go out of their way to try and put things in there ambiguous, uh, ambiguous and 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 uh, you know abstract, so that people will then sort of make things appear that maybe aren't there. Mm. I think it it's very important when judging Moore and Morrison to take into account that these both of these guys are self-professed magicians they've studied Thelema or whatever whatever it is that they've chosen to study where the language of what they're studying is so important that literally every word means something in in their study so I think they've taken that way of thinking and applied it to the way they write comic books whereas everything is there for a reason and means something in the grand scheme of things the entire organism of the story is dependent on every single part of this tale acting in unison with each other where you know in, in terms of s symbolism there there there's a running thread of symbolic things through this entire story that Morrison has put there for a reason i'm just yeah. Talking out loud, but, 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 but when you take that into consideration, that they 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 have language as a basis of the way they think, that th then maybe it leans a little bit towards the the side of you know everything is intentional with these guys. I, I don't I don't know. Studying magic to me doesn't necessarily make you a, a, <laughs> a better writer. <laughs> I mean, maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. I, I, I that seems it, like it, that it, seems like a justification for something. Yeah. Like, but it's it's a way of thinking. It's not only a a a, a mode of, a method of study. It's it's a way of changing the way you think. And writing is just thinking on the page and manipulating words, whereas they manipulate other things when they study magic. Yeah, my my major difference between you know, Alan Moore and Grant Morrison is that Moore, 
even you know his stuff is 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 obviously very layered there's a lot of subtext there's a lot of stuff going on but it works on a surface level where you know you could take you know 10 different people and have them you know read watchmen or um you know any any number of stuff league or or whatever and they're going to enjoy that on different different levels because it mm-hmm. works from surface to digging through and finding a lot of different meanings and in, in stuff where Morrison I think sometimes he misses that surface level and that doesn't mean that there's not brilliant stuff going on there but you have to remember we are dealing with with comic books here and and not you know graphic novels we're dealing with serialized graphic fiction that that is that is you know coming out on a monthly basis and i i think that he misses the surface value and that that misses i think that misses the mark of of what of what this segment of of the medium is supposed to deliver I mean, does that make any sense yeah you so in in essence what you're saying is that that mental device that morrison uses to translate his ideas to the page could be more attuned or fine-tuned to a wider audience whereas um alan moore has it nailed he knows how to write for a large audience but he also knows what to bury for the ones that are looking for it watch watchman is a brilliant work but at at its at at its you know core surface value it's a murder mystery Mm -hmm. you know and where batman Batman r.i.p i don't really know what the surface value hook was of that series hmm. what, what what is r.i.p about and uh transformation yeah. okay it's it's it it's a it's a transformative tale i think yeah <laughs> well just know. because it, i can it, 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 into what you have a an a person who enters this let's just call it the r.i.p building and emerges a different character and it's also a segue into a, a uh, another tale that hinges on this one. Like you, you can't take. But wait, isn't isn't that sort of trying to transform a character that inherently is never going to transform? Isn't that sort of? Well, you can while he's working on it. Uh, yeah, I suppose because he knows he's going to leave someday. And and if you look at Morrison's run on Batman, the Son of the Bat, the events of that story are crucial to R.I.P. The events of the Black Glove story take part in R.I.P. Everything he's written to this to this point hinges on R.I.P. And I'm sure the next story is going to extrapolate on what he's built up so far even more. Oh, he's I, I, think, he's yeah, thinking yeah. long term, no, which you know is not always a good thing. Doesn't he wrap up with Batman in two issues? What comes out tomorrow and then the next one? Isn't that it? Oh, I I thought he said he wanted to write Batman forever as long as they oh. would leave him on it. Oh, I I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure how much can... longer he's on it. I don't know. Yeah. But you know, yeah. you you say it's a, a a series of transformation. What what was Batman or Bruce Wayne at the beginning of the series? And do we see the full transformation at quote unquote the end of R.I.P.? I don't think so, because. I can only assume, but I think he's going to go through another transformation in Final Crisis. He's going to die. Or, use death in quotes, he may decide that this version of the Bruce Wayne Batman will die. He's going to chuck it all and hit the road. I don't know what's going to happen. How many issues of Final Crisis are left? Three. Um, three? Yeah. Two. No. 
Yeah, five, six, and seven. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I, I was wishing, but no, yeah. Just hey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm well, I'm just up, because up. I can, I can, I can, uh, I can hear Tom already saying this. I do want to make it clear that I, I, I don't want to try and compare Morrison and Alan Moore because they don't have to be. You don't have to choose from one or the other. No, right? They're, you know, they're both great. And and I want to. I, I, I know I've been sort of ragging on Grant Morrison this entire episode, and I feel sort of stupid for doing that because uh, I, I, I think he's a fantastic writer. And I, I, I do want to say that. I think he's fucking brilliant. One of my favorite comic stories of, of, of all time is uh, We Three. I, I, I just think that's an unbelievably fantastic comic, uh, comic book story. Um, and, and I loved Animal Man. And, and, and I, I'm a huge fan of his stuff. So I don't want, you know, I, I'm just sort of playing devil's advocate a bit. And, and no, not you. And just, I don't know, it's a weird nature of mine to, to have to sort of tear down other people's icons, I suppose. Oh. And, and how about that, that we live in a world where an Alan Moore and a Grant Morrison is possible? That's awesome to me. <laughs> yeah, you can have your cake and eat it. Yeah. No, I, I think those, those you know, kind of what uh, Sal was saying about comparing those guys, I, I think it's it's just one of those natural things that we do. Those are those are two writers that will, I think, be compared because they're, you know... Uh, There's no comparison. Oh, they're... <laughs> yeah, Morrison's better. Well, no, no, <laughs> he's close. no, he's not. Um, not <laughs> sure he not is. Not even but, close, you know, Vince. But, but those, <laughs> wrong, oh Mary Lou. You know th- those guys; they they just naturally kind of draw comparisons. They're they're high concept, you know, big time. When, when anyone ever says, whenever when anyone ever calls any work of Grant Morrison's Morrison's the greatest comic book work ever, then maybe he'll have a chance of <laughs> of comparing himself or you well, comparing does, him to Alan Moore. What does popular opinion matter? In terms of uh, consensus, whether or not means that no, wait, 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 hold on, hold on. I, let me <laughs> let me get a point out before you attack. I'm not going to attack you. I love you. I love uh, you. Go ahead. I understand that not necessarily because something is popular make that doesn't necessarily make it good. But to me, in my opinion, that's uh, all that matters to the you. Point of art of any creative endeavor is to express yourself and to uh, to touch and affect other people with that. When something is popular, regardless of if the critics or you know the the sort of uh, marginalized few uh, that consider themselves worthy enough to deem something good or bad like it, if something has affected enough people, uh, it's it's done its job. And the the more pe- people that something affects, now a lot of things can go into that distribution of anything. Uh, you know how many people are actually see something in comparison, but. When you're comparing someone like Grant Morrison and Alan Moore, I would say, you know, they've had pretty much the same amount of distribution uh, over the years. Uh, you know, their work has been out there enough. Uh, so the popularity, in effect, I think is a very true factor in, in, in their, that sense of comparing someone's work to someone else's. Uh, popularity means that it has affected more people. Mm-hmm. Watchmen okay. has affected more people. Uh, than anything Grant Morrison has written. Not that Grant Morrison isn't great, right? But Animal, as great as Animal Man is, uh, there's you know, in comparison, there's a select few uh, that find it amazing, as opposed to something like Watchmen or V for Vendetta or uh, you know, 
uh, if you if league or you know from hell or whatever you know what I mean it, I mean uh, so I think in this instance popularity certainly has to come into play that one more has okay. more absolute additions he definitely, <laughs> he definitely has more of those yeah I understand what you're saying um, even though yeah, I may not agree with you but uh, Finnegan's Wake could be the greatest book ever written but how many people have actually finished it uh, just, just, just you know, just because I don't think a, a large it. group of well, I'm, well, it's it's all due to interpretation, right? If a large group of people interpret Alan Moore's work as being great, truly great, and you have maybe a couple thousands that have read Finnegan's Wake and thought, "Wow, this is like the best book ever." Is Finnegan's Wake any less powerful than Alan Moore stuff just because Alan Moore has touched more people? Well, no, I, and I said that. I said that certainly there's factors right, but, involved as far as distribution, but, it, but when you're comparing, you know, Grant Morrison and Alan Moore, I, I you know, working I, working within the same medium, right? Yeah, working within the same medium. I mean, neither one of them can write a book to save their lives. <laughs> On, <laughs> have you ever read uh, *Voice of the Fire*? Uh, I've tried. It, it's <laughs> unreadable. It's tough. It is hard. <laughs> I, I haven't made it through yet either. Yeah. But that doesn't make it uh, a lesser work. Doesn't Maybe, make it great. You never know. It could be great. Maybe we're just not, <laughs> we don't have like, the aptitude to read it. You know, maybe to some sort of alien race, it will be. <laughs> well, Morrison was abducted. So, yeah, never know. <laughs> and probe. But no, I, I mean, uh, was he abducted or was he just taken home? No, he was. <laughs> there you go. Very nice, Chris. <laughs> You get the prize for this episode. <laughs> I mean, I'll, and, uh, I'll never sit here and say that, you know, Britney Spears is good because she's popular. Yeah. But that's a whole right. other, you know, whole yeah. other issue. I mean, you're dealing well, with context. Hey, guys. This is Chris Chavez. And I'm in the middle of Black Friday right now. And you know what? One thing I noticed, there's not a single damn comic book to be found. But somebody says, it's 50% off on the shelf. Not a trade, not a floppy, hell, not even a goddamn reprint in black and white. So, you know, what kind of justice or what, what kind of message are you sending to the comic book buying population if you're not doing that? Come on, people. Show us, show us some Black Friday love for some comic books, all right? Anyway, take care. Peace out. Thank you. Close the door. Yep. Okay, did you drop one? Did you drop one, you said? Okay. Peace, honor. I love you. If anyone wants to read this mess of uh, notes that I cobbled together, I'll post them on the forum, forum.bullpenbulletinspodcast.com. And you can talk about this episode. I'm sure you're all going to tell us we're nuts, but uh, we gave it a good shot. We, we did. We did, we tried. Hey, can can I can I rip on you for something, Vince? Just one second. You can rip as much as you want. Just let let's just let's just cap off this R.I.P. Okay. discussion with the first page. Who do you think? I mean, I mean, we didn't finish this thought. Who do you think the Batman and Robin is in that image? What's your best guess? I can tell you what I'd like to think. What I would like them to try. Well, whatever. I think it's the brothers. I would like it to be Tim and Damien. Okay. Only because, well, for a couple of reasons. One is because 
as much sense as it makes for logically for Dick to take over Batman, he spent a lot of time becoming his his own man. He, he's we know, you know, why he's why he chose the name Nightwing as respect to two people that he looks up to and, and respects, and and he spent a lot of time working on that and, and getting away from, even though he has the name, getting away from that shadow of his mentor. He, but he, he doesn't have, he doesn't have the demons Bruce has to become Batman. He, he hasn't lived, his parents were taken from him, but he had Bruce and Alfred, whereas Bruce didn't early on. And then later when he comes back from Europe, now he's got Alfred, but he didn't have anybody Bruce didn't have someone in his life. Like I mean, he had Leslie, depending on which history you want to go by. Look how that turned out. I thank you. <laughs> so it's, I, I just, I don't see, I've, you've seen Dick smile a hell of a lot more often than Bruce ever has. You just don't have the same driving forces. Dick doesn't have the same demons. Thank you. That is a he's, word. He's, he's the DC's big brother. Yeah, I'd smile too if I had Corey on my side. Hey, yeah, uh, <laughs> and, and got to see uh, Donna in the red. Anyway, um, right. The uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> so yeah, so I mean, I just think it would be a lot more interesting if it was if it was Tim and Damien because we still haven't seen. We, we saw the small, the short conversation Tim had with Alfred in the Batcave early on in R.I.P. Right. But we haven't seen anything past that yet. Okay, Mr. Salazar. Oh, geez. Um... Well, you know, I initially when I, when you brought it up, I said uh, Dick and Tim, but now that David says Damien, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, so I probably oh, shit. Mean, I'm keeping this episode forever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it probably if Damien makes sense, and I but I can't see Tim as Batman. I I just think he's too young at this point. Yep. Um, well, if Tony Daniels draws it, oh shit! Be. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I think it, maybe it's Alfred in a, in a <laughs> just like the TV show. That's in, awesome. In a foam hey, suit. <laughs> if you're if you're reading if, um, if you're reading uh, Trinity, Trinity, Alfred can handle it. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Freddy. I don't honestly. I don't. I mean, I, I it has to be uh, Dick, and maybe maybe it's Dick and Damien. Mm-hmm. That's my guess too. Yeah. Only because um, Damien Tim becomes it, Nightwing. Yes, but only because the Nightwing character is is, is in with the Kryptonian thing. I think that may be Tim, as in Nightwing and Flamebird, because oh, we don't have a Nightwing. Really? Yeah, we where yeah we don't have a. Where did the TK punch come from then? Well, that's true. And yeah. and the thing is, you got and, me on that one. If, hey, the uh, I forgot all about that. The, the, thing, the tactile the, um, TK. So I don't know who it is. The only thing that's kind of throwing me for a loop with with Tim is going back to uh, that oh so wonderful last one of Testament where Tim was on the ledge with Batman and they were about to go swinging, not the way you think. The uh, all of a sudden Nightwing shows up and it doesn't sour Tim, but it it obviously you know he's not the firstborn. He's not the one that Batman would have moved heaven and hell to do this with on this night. It obviously right. would have been Dick. So, I mean, it's that's still... So, so now not only, like Tim says, lost his father, lost his best friend, lost his girl, 
now losing Bruce and and not being the shining light in Bruce's eyes. Now Bruce also has a son. Well, maybe Tim goes rogue. Hey, yeah, maybe he'll join Jason. Maybe Tim's the vigilante. I don't know. Maybe but it's uh, Jason. I, 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 maybe it's Jason uh, and Tim. Yeah, but I definitely don't think that that Robin in that picture is Tim. I think it's Damien. And and I did too. Chris, what do you think? Yeah, I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with uh, Dick Grayson and Damien. Excellent. Yeah, okay. I, I I think that's probably what it's gonna be. Um, yeah, yeah and I have a feeling that that Tim, and that brings up a good point. I don't know if Tim will take over the Nightwing mantle because that uh, that that character is going to be taken up in uh, in action. Yeah, with tactile but, telekinesis too. The, the, <laughs> the, probably <laughs> drawn by Gary Frank in the Secret Origins. The the thing with um, well, what the hell? Is, what is Jason Todd doing? I mean, I haven't. I don't what whatever hell he was doing during Countdown with 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 Donna and Kyle. I so yeah, I, that's I have the last no idea. we've seen of him. Okay, so I mean, it may not. It doesn't make much sense for him to be Batman, especially since we haven't seen him in an issue of Batman in I don't know how long. Yeah. You know what? The, what what a nice? horrible choice! What to have to have Jason monitor the monitors? He's not a, a spacefaring hero. He's a street level. Well, have, not even a hero. They didn't have room for him. You know, wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't, wouldn't it be nice for for Tim, who I think has really kind of chiseled out a nice little place for himself in the DCU, to kind of you know, not take over Nightwing's mantle, but to do what Dick did and create his his own legacy now, and yeah, and and you know, become his his own superhero outside of the 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 Bat Family shadow. He's such a good Robin. Oh, he's a great Robin, and I think, and I, yeah. and, and and I'll bet you within eighteen months, it's going to be back to being Bruce and 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 Tim as my, as Batman and Robin. My real hope is that it's Catman and Ragdoll. <laughs> 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 That's my dynamic too. <laughs> uh, okay, so let let's get. I want to hear the ripping. From from oh, Mr. Salazar, what's what's the ripping? No, I was just I was gonna give. I was listening to your. I think it was your last episode, and uh, just something that that made me kind of laugh. Uh, you had said you're talking about letters and and, <laughs> and uh, lettering, and, and you you said getting to know a letter is sort of like getting to know a person. So I was just <laughs> glad to know that you consider letters almost like people. Shit. <laughs> 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 You know what I meant. I know exactly, and that was yeah. about one o'clock uh, Pennsylvania time, I believe. I, I, yeah, I was just laughing pretty good at that one. It was it was pretty funny. I'll tell you though, I think this new time slot uh, for anyone who doesn't know, we we re- we considered renaming the show Nine O'clock Comics because that's our new recording time <laughs> on on Wednesdays, but we're going to keep it eleven. But I think this new slot is working. I'm I'm, I'm more with it. Here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't fall asleep for- last week. <laughs> hours <laughs> you know I knew you were yeah. falling asleep last week because I could tell this is how <laughs> sick our relationship is <laughs> it's like Chris is getting sleepy yeah, yeah there was last... like one, there was one moment when you just sort of in acknowledgement of something Vince was saying you just kind of went yep <laughs> and, then, and I could tell right there like Chris is either drunk or he's really tired because that's just sort of yeah drunk and tired yep <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sal, Sal and I are an old married couple at this point. Oh, that is so cool. Part, like partners that. in more ways than one. Oh, yeah. goodness. 
All right, enough of this. We are way beyond our... our That's going to be a real Batman. short show description this week. Yep, Batman R.I.P., period. That, Sal doesn't shut the fuck up? Is that the name awesome. of this one? No, Sal <laughs> contributes more than he knows. That's what it should be called. Now I know why you guys <laughs> did never want me on this show, because I just keep talking. Dude, you're the bomb. I, I, I was, oh, I was so happy to hear you on AC this week. Oh, it's well, like a yeah, gift whenever good, yeah. you're on. Well, hey, you, know, got, you have a treat on Monday then because it's going to be uh, um, Sal and Tom are going Christless. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's our Christless Christmas episode. Right. <laughs> That's what he gave you for Christmas. He didn't show up for a week. That's so uh, well. It's it's uh, it's the Friday. Friday. We'll see. Yeah. He may show up. You know, last minute. You never know. He yeah. He may sometimes. Get in the itch. Get the shakes. Get the shakes. <laughs> no, I, couldn't, I couldn't stand the thought of you guys doing Not that. Not like this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well... <laughs> <laughs> let's let's bring it on home. Thanks everybody for listening. No, we are not going away. That was a joke, just in case there's any confusion out there. You know, that's that's it. It. Next week, next week at like nine o'clock, we should uh, we should just not show up on Skype for like ten minutes and freak wood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, two what hours. You, that's why what you guys got. Oh lord, that's, that's, yes. Well, Tonight we yes. don't want to lose Tim. <laughs> I feel- I haven't even read any comics in weeks, and I could talk for another three hours. <laughs> save it up for save Friday. Friday night. There you go. Save, it, you. save it up All for right. Friday. you got another show to do. Uh, I'm going to do two on Friday. Are you kidding? Oh, sweet. I'm going to have an extra one in the can. Sweet. <laughs> to hear that whip when Chris was... <laughs> you got a show to do. <laughs> All right, people. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Mr. Salazar. I'm oh. bowing. You can't see me, but I am. Thank, thank you. Thank, thank you. I hope I didn't give you too much shit, but I just, I love talking to you. No, I, I always enjoy talking. I miss you guys uh, terribly. Oh, big time. Uh, and well, we do have another slot. We can always kick the fuck wood out of here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was gonna say, I, I. Uh, you know, in replacing wood this week, I prepared by um, trying to forget everything I know about comic books. Oh, <laughs> that's not oh. nice. Just kidding, wood. He's a good boy. Kind of. He's gonna say Sal brought the heat. <laughs> yeah. But no, seriously, thank you for for having me on, and and I do miss you guys a lot, and I I always enjoy talking with you guys. Never, never enough. Never often enough. We just, to make our, we just have to make our plans for Chicago, for you guys to come in this year. I'm for, there. For Windy City Comic Con, too. Yes. Yeah, Maybe I'll just... Take two... I'll just stay. There you just go. <laughs> August... Well, uh, who cares if it's two months later? Stay one of them Tom. will put me up. Stay with Tom. I'm offering up Tom's place. <laughs> I don't think Tom's fiance, which would be his wife by then, right? Uh, it's going to be getting close, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I don't we'll think be she... She'd take too kindly to a big old hairy Italian guy looking at her like he like a, a little uh, cupcake. <laughs> like a sandwich. Hey. Cool, cute little thing. Sit on Uncle Vince's lap. Oh, don't mind that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're out of here. Thank you guys for listening. We'll be back next week. Say bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.